Chapter 10 Taking the Bastille. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Rita Boutros. Taking the Bastille by Alexander Dumas. Chapter 10 Blowing Hot and Cold. It was on the morning of the 14th of July that Billet opened oratorical fire against the monument which had for five centuries weighed like an incubus on the breast of France, a rock of Sisyphus. Less confident than the titan in her power, France had never thought to throw it off. The Bastille was the seal of feudalism on the brow of Paris, the king was accounted too good to order people to be beheaded, but he sent people into the Bastille. Once there, a man was forgotten, isolated, sequestered, buried alive, annihilated. He stayed there till the monarch remembered him, and kings have so many new matters to think of that they often forget the old ones. There were twenty other Bastilles in France, the name being general for prison, so that to this day the tramp on the dusty road speaks of the steel without perhaps knowing that the title of ignominy refers to the great French state's prison. The fortress by the Saint-Antoine gate was the Bastille preeminently. It was alone worth all the others. Some of the prisoners were perhaps great criminals, but others, like Latude, had done nothing to merit thirty years' captivity. He had fallen in love with the Lady Pompadour, the king's mistress, and wrote her a note which caused his imprisonment for a lifetime. It was not for nothing that the Bastille was hated by the people. It was hated like a living thing, a monster like the dragoons who defy a people till a champion rises, like Billet, to show them how to attack it. Hence one may comprehend Sebastian's hopeless grief at his father being incarcerated in the Bastille. Hence Billet's belief that he would never be liberated but by being plucked forth, Hence, the popular transport may be felt when the shout rose of down with the Bastille. But it was, as the soldiers said, an insane project to think of capturing the king's prison castle. The Bastille had a garrison, artillery, and provisions. The walls were fifteen feet thick at the top and forty at the base. The governor was Count Launay, who had thirty thousand pounds of gunpowder in the magazine, and had promised in case of annoyance to blow up the fort and with it all that part of Paris. Nevertheless, Billet marched forward, but he did not have to do any shouting. Liking his martial mane, the multitude felt he was one of their kind, and commenting on his words and bearing, it followed him, increasing like the flowing tide. When Billet came out on Saint-Michel's quay, he had behind him more than three thousand men, armed with hatchets, cutlasses, pikes, and guns. All were shouting, "'On to the Bastille!' Billet was making the reflections which his knowledge of the stronghold warranted, and the vapor of his enthusiasm faded gradually. He saw clearly that the enterprise was sublime, though insane. 
that was easy to understand by the awed expression of those to whom he had first broached the project of taking the bastille but he was only the more fortified in his resolve but he understood that he had to answer to these mothers and fathers girls and children for the lives of those whom he was leading and that he was bound to take all the precautions possible he commenced by collecting his followers at the city hall he appointed lieutenants to control the flock of wolves let me see said billet to himself there is more than one power in france there are two the head of the chief city for one and may be another yet he entered the city hall asking for the chief civic magistrate it was the traitorous provost flessel my lord de flessel he repeated a noble and no friend of the people oh no he is a sensible man billet went up the stairs into the antechamber where he met an usher who came up to him to see what he wanted speech with lord flessel replied billet can't sir answered the man he is completing the list for the militia which the city is to raise capital rejoined billet i am also organizing a militia and as i have three thousand men ready under arms i am worth a flacelle who is only going to get his together let me speak with him and write off if you like just look out the window at my soldiers one rapid glance on the waterside was enough for the servant who hastened to notify the traitor's provost to whom as emphasis to his message he pointed out the army this sight inspired respect in the provost for the man commanding them he left the council and came into the anteroom perceiving billet he smiled at guessing the kind of man he must be were you wanting me he challenged if you are provost flacelle responded billet yes how can i serve you please be quick for i am very busy how many powers do you acknowledge in france my lord provost queried billet hm that is just how one looks at it replied the politician if you ask bailey the mayor he will say the national assembly if lord drew he will say only one the king and which is yours between the two neither one but the nation at present rejoined flesselle playing with his ruffles ah the nation repeated the farmer those gentlemen waiting below there with the wood choppers and carving knives the nation all the world to me you may be right and there was no mistake in their warranting you to me as a knowing man which of the three powers do you belong to inquired the trimmer bowing faith when there is a question for the grand spirit and the angels i apply to the fountain head you mean the king what for to ask for the release of dr gilbert who is in the bastille he is one of those pamphleteers i believe said the aristocratic one saucily a lover of mankind that is all one my dear monsieur billet i believe you have little chances of obtaining such a favor from the king if he put the doctor in his bastille he had reasons for it all right returned billet he shall offer his reasons and i will match them with mine my dear sir the king is so busy that he will not receive you 
Oh, if he will not let me in, I shall walk in without his leave or license. But you will find Lord Drubrez at the door, who will put you away from it. It is true he failed to do that, with the National Assembly in a body, but that failure will only the more put him on his mettle, and he will take his revenge out of you. Then I will apply to the National Assembly. The way to Versailles is cut off. I will have my three thousand men with me. Have a care, my dear fellow, for you will meet on the road four or five thousand Swiss soldiers and two or three thousand Austrians who will make mincemeat of your forces. In a twinkling you will be swallowed. What the deuce am I to do then? Do what you like, but rid me of your three thousand tattered emollients who are cracking the flagstones with thumps of their halberds and smoking. In the vaults, are seven or eight thousand pounds of gunpowder, and a spark may send us all flying to the eternal throne. In that case, turning this over in my mind, said the farmer, I will not trouble the king or the assembly, but call in the nation and take the Bastille myself. With what? With the powder you have kindly told me is stored in your cellar. You don't tell me that, sneered Flessel. That is the very thing, the cellar keys, my lord. Hello, you are joking, faltered the gentleman. I never joke, returned Billet, grasping the provost by the collar with both hands. Let me have the keys, or I shall sling you out to my tatterdemalions who know how to pick pockets. Flessel turned pale as death. His lips and teeth closed so convulsively, but his voice did not alter in tone from the ironical one adopted. "'To tell you the truth, sir, you do me an assistance in ridding me of this combustible,' he said. "'So I will hand you over the keys as you desire. Only do not forget that I am your first magistrate, and that if you are so unfortunate as to handle me roughly before others as you have done, catching me privately in an unguarded time, you will be hanged within the hour by the city guards. Do you persist in removing this powder? I do, and will divide it out myself right away. Let us have this clear, then. I have business here for another quarter of an hour, and if it makes no difference to you, I should prefer the distribution to go on during my absence. It has been foretold me that I should die of a violent death, but I own to having a deep repugnance to being blown into the air. You shall have the time, but do me a favor in return. Come to this window, that I may make you popular. Much obliged. In what manner? "'You shall see. Friends,' he called out, as the two stood at the window. "'You want to take the Bastille?' "'Aye, aye,' replied the thousands of voices. "'But we want powder. Now here is the provost, who gives us all there is in the city hall cellars. Thank him, boys.' "'Long live the provost! Flessel forever!' roared the mob. "'Now, my lord,' There is no need for me to collar you before the crowd or when alone, said Billet, for if you do not give the powder, the people, or the nation, as you call it, will tear you to pieces. Here are the keys. Your way of asking for anything allows no refusing. This encourages me, said Billet, who was meditating. Hang it all. Have you more to ask? Yes, if you know Governor Launay. 
Of the Bastille? He is a friend of mine. In that case you cannot wish evil to befall him. To prevent that, ask him to give up the prison to me, or at least the prisoner Gilbert. You cannot hope that I have any such influence. That is my lookout. All I want is an introduction to him. My dear Monsieur Billet, I must warn you that if you enter the Bastille it will be alone, and it is likely that you will never come out again. Still, I will give you a passport into the Bastille on one condition, that you do not ask me another for the moon. I have no acquaintances lunatics. Flacel shrilled a harsh voice behind the speaker, if you continue to wear two faces, one laughing with the aristocrats and the other smiling on the people, you will be signing your own passport in a day or two to the other world whence none return. Who speak thus? cried the provost, turning to the ill-favored man who interrupted. I, Marat. The surgeon Marat, the philosopher, said Billet. Yes, the same Marat, continued Flacel, who, as a medical man, ought to attend to the insane. He will have his hands full in France at this moment. Provost Flacel, replied the somber surgeon, this honest citizen asks a passport to Governor Launay. I would point out that you are not only keeping him waiting, but three thousand other honest citizens. Very well, he shall have it. Going to a table, he passed his hand over his forehead before writing with the other a few rapid lines in ink. Here is your introduction, he said, presenting it to the countryman. I do not know how to read, said Billet. Give it to me and I will do so, said Marat, and he saw that the pass was couched in these words. Governor, we, provost of traders of Paris, send you Monsieur Billet, to confer on the welfare of the city. 14th July, 1789. Flacel. All right, let me have it, said Billet. Oh, you think it good enough? sneered Marat. Wait for the provost to add a postscript, which will improve it. He went over to the provost, who was leaning one closed hand on the table, and regarding with a scornful air not only the two men who were the jaws of a vice which enclosed him, but a third, whose breeches were torn, standing before the doorway, with a musketoon in his fist. This was Pitou, who followed his friend, and was ready to execute any order of his. I suggest the following postscript to improve the paper, said Marat. Speak. Marat laid the paper again on the table, and pointing with his crooked finger to the place for the addendum, he dictated, Citizen Billet, being under flag of truce, I confide his life to your honor. Flacel looked at the cunning face, as if he had the strongest desire to smash it with a blow than do what he was counseled. Do you hesitate? demanded the surgeon. No, for at the most you only ask what is fair, replied the other, writing as proposed. Still, gentlemen, I want you to bear in mind that I do not answer for the envoy's safety. But I will, said Marat, taking the paper from his hands, for your liberty is here to answer for his. Your head will guarantee his. There is your pass, my brave billet. Flacel called for his coach and said loudly, "'I suppose, my friends, you are asking nothing more?' 
"'No,' replied the two together. "'Am I to let him pass?' asked Pitou. "'My young friend,' said the gentleman, "'I should like to observe that you are rather too insufficiently clad "'to stand guard at my door. "'If you feel constrained to do it, "'at least sling your cartridge-box round "'and stand with your back to the wall.' "'Am I to let him go?' asked Pitou again, looking at the speaker, as if he did not relish the jest. "'Yes,' Billet said. "'Perhaps you are wrong to let him go,' said Marat, as Pitou stepped aside. He was a good hostage to hold. But, in any case, be he where he may, I can lay hands on him, never fear.' Labri said Flessel to his valet, as he got into his carriage, they are going to serve out the powder. If the city hall goes up in an explosion, I should like to be well out of the reach of splinters. Tell the coachman to whip up smartly. The vehicle rolled under the covered way, and came out on the square before some thousands of spectators. The provost feared that his departure might be misinterpreted and taken for a flight so he leaned out of the window and said loudly drive to the national assembly this earned him a cheer up on the balcony outside marat and billet heard the order my head to his that he is not going to the assembly but to the king commented the surgeon had he not better be stopped said the farmer no replied the other with a hideous grin be easy go where he may and however quickly we shall travel more quickly than he now let us get out that powder out with the powder said billet flesselle was right in saying there were eight thousand pounds of gunpowder in the vaults marat and billet walked in the first with a lantern which they hung to a beam pitou mounted guard at the door the powder was in twenty-pound kegs. Men were stationed in a line, and the kegs were passed out, hand to hand. There was a brief confusion, as it was not known what was the amount, and some feared they could not get any if they did not scramble for it. But Billet had selected his lieutenants on his own model, with leg of mutton fists, and the distribution went on with much order. Each man received half a pound of powder, which would fire thirty or forty shots. But when everybody had powder, it was discovered that guns were short. Only some five hundred men had them. While the powder was being dealt out, some of the unarmed went into a council chamber, where a debate was proceeding. It was about the National Guards of which the usher had mentioned a word to B.A., it was settled that the force should consist of 48,000 men. The army existed only on paper, and yet they were wrangling about who should have the command. In the midst of this dispute, in rushed the weaponless men. The people had formed an army of their own, but they wanted arms. At this moment was heard the arrival of a carriage. It was Flessel's, for they would not let him pass, though he had shown the royal order for him to go to Versailles, and he was brought back to the hall by main force. Arms, arms, they yelled at him, as soon as they saw him. No arms here, but there must be some at the arsenal, he replied. So five thousand men ran over to the arsenal to find it was bare. They returned howling to the city hall. The provost had no firearms, or he would not tell of them. He packed them off to the old Carthusian monastery, but it was empty too.
not so much as a pocket pistol rewarded them meanwhile flacel learning that marat and billet were still busy getting out the powder suggested sending a deputation to governor launay to induce him to draw in the cannon he had made the populace howl dreadfully on the evening before by running out his guns through the embrasures flacel hoped that by having them taken in the people would be satisfied and settle down the deputation was starting when the armed seekers came back enraged on hearing their vociferations billet and marat came up out of the underground on a lower balcony the provost was trying to quiet the multitude he proposed a resolution that the wards should forge fifty thousand pikes the people were jumping at the offer truly this fellow is playing with us said the surgeon he turned to his new friend saying go and get to work at the bastille in an hour i shall be sending you twenty thousand muskets with a man to each butt at first blush billet had felt great confidence in this leader whose name was so popular as to have reached him down in the country he never thought to ask him how he was going to get them he noticed a priest in the crowd working lustily and though he had no great confidence in the cloth he liked this one to whom he confided the serving out of the ammunition marat jumped upon a stone horse-block the uproar was indescribable silence he called out i am marat and i want to speak like magic all was hushed and every eye was turned upon the orator you want arms to take the bastille come with me to the invalides where are twenty-five thousand stand of arms and you shall have them to the invalides shouted the throngs now continued marat to billet you'll be off to the bastille but stay you may want help before i come he wrote on a leaf of his tablets from marat and tore this out to give it to billet who smiled to see that it also bore a masonic sign he and marat belonged to the order of the invisibles over which presided balsamo cagliostro and his work was what they were prosecuting what am i to do with a paper having no name or address inquired the peasant my friend has no address but his name is well known ask the first working man you come across for the people's spokesman gonchon gonchon fix that on your mind pitou gonchon or gonchonius in latin repeated pitou i shall retain it to the invalides yelled the voices with increasing ferocity be on your way said marat and may the spirit of liberty march by your side now then brothers on to the invalides shouted marat in his turn he went off with more than twenty thousand men while the farmer took away some six hundred in his train but they were armed as the two leaders were departing the provost appeared at a window calling out friends why do i see the green cockade in your hats when it is the color of artois though it may also be that of hope don't look to be sporting the colors of a prince no no was the chorus with billets loudest of the voices then change it and if you must wear a color take that good old paris town our mother blue and red my friends later 
General Lafayette, making the criticism that blue and red were the Orleans colors also, and perhaps having the stars and stripes of the Republic he had fought for in his mind, suggested the addition of white, saying that the red, white, and blue would be a flag that would go round the world. With approving words, everybody tore off the leaves and trampled them underfoot while they called for ribbons. As if by enchantment, all windows opened, and there was a rain of red and blue ribbons. But this was scant supply for a thousand only. Aprons, silk dresses, tapes, scarves, all sorts of tissues were torn into strips and twisted up into rosettes, streamers, favors, and ties, with which decorations the improvised army of B.A. went its road. It had recruits on the line. All the side streets of the Saint-Antoine, or working quarter, sent the warmest-blooded and strongest of its sons. They reached in good order Ledigur Street, where a number of folk were staring at the Bastille Towers, their red brick ruddy in the setting sunshine. Some were calm, some saucy. In the instant, the arrivals of reinforcements changed the multitude in aspect and mood. They were the drum corps, a hundred French guards who came down the main avenue, and B.A.'s rough fellows upwards of twelve thousand strong. The timid grew bold, the calm were excited, and the pert were menacing. Down with the cannon howled twenty thousand throats as twice as many fists were shaken at the brazen pieces stretching their necks over the crenellations. At that very time, as though the fortress governor obeyed the injunction, the gunners came out to the pieces and retired them until they were no longer visible from below. The throngs clapped hands, thinking they were a power because they had apparently been obeyed. The sentries continued to pace up and down the ramparts with alternations of the Swiss and the veterans. After the shout of, Down with the cannons, that of, Draw back the Swiss, arose, in continuation of, down with the Germans, of the evening before. But the Swiss continued all the same, to march up and down, to meet the French invalides. One of the shouters was impatient, and having a gun, he fired on a sentinel. The bullet struck the grey stone wall, a foot above the cornice of the tower, above the soldier's head. It left a white mark, but the man did not halt, did not do so much as turn his head. A great hubbub rose around the firer of the first shot at the Bastille. It was the signal for a mad and unheard-of attack. The tumult had more dread in it than rage. Many did not understand that to fire on a royal prison was incurring the death penalty. End of chapter 10